All right, well, hey everybody. We are wrapping up our series called B-List Stars, and we've been looking at some of the characters in the Bible who don't get a lot of screen time, um, but they've got these like can't-miss stories. Um, today's B-Lister, I, I think, doesn't get a lot of airtime because the story seems so archaic. Like it, it practically begs people to say that the Bible is irrelevant and regressive because there is like there is some weird ancient society tiger king level crazy stuff that goes down in this story but uh, actually the opposite is true seeing how god speaks into this very ancient culture shows how forward thinking and and like profoundly relevant uh this very old book is so we're going to be in genesis chapter 16 if you want to find that we'll get there in a minute now um, one of the jacked up things about ancient culture is that women were essentially seen as baby makers. Um, if they couldn't have children, then they were basically worthless. And uh, this is why there are so many biblical stories of women in deep grief because they couldn't get pregnant. Because um, that was all they were good for in the eyes of most people at that time. Now, what's remarkable about the Bible is that thousands of years ago, the Holy Spirit was inspiring people to actually tell these women's stories. Um, to an ancient person reading this, these, the, the, the question would be like, well, why do you people care enough to even tell a woman's story, especially a barren woman? But uh, the Bible tells the story of, of Sarai, of Hannah, of Rebecca, of Elizabeth, of Rachel, and on and on and on. And this is because the Bible presents a really powerful counter-narrative to what was going on culturally and insisting that these women are beloved children of God and in no way less than or beneath anybody, anywhere, period. Um, and this story gets into that. So Genesis chapter 16, we'll start with verse 1. Listen closely. A lot happens in these three verses. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. Now, I know there's a lot weird going on there. Now, uh, because there was so much pressure on a wife to bear children, it was also expected, I, it's hard to get my head around, that the, if the woman could not get pregnant, it was her job to go find a mistress for her husband. Like, can you even imagine that? It sounds so strange that Sarai would do this, but they were now in their old age. The truth is she'd probably had lots of people questioning why she hadn't done this already. Now, that does not make it good or right. This is really messed up. But it does help us understand where they were coming from, at least culturally. And actually, the greater error here was Abrams, who had agreed to the plan because God had told him specifically he and Sarai would have a baby, but he lost faith and disobeyed God. And the result is polygamy. Um, and I just want to remind you that just because the Bible has polygamy in it doesn't mean that it is approved of by the Bible. Uh, the Bible explicitly condemns it, actually. And if you study polygamy in the Bible, 
uh, you will find that it is a, I get to a train wreck. It is a fooled-on disaster every single time. And so that's a warning, not an endorsement. And uh, this is one of those disastrous warning stories. So back to the text, verse 4. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. So, it's a real shocker, but it turns out that Sarah and Hagar aren't buddies after all this happens. Verse 6, Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. So, recap. Hagar, Hagar is a jerk to Sarai. Um, Abram's, Abram's response in a tremendous display of leadership is to ignore the problem and abdicate any responsibility for any of it. And Sarai's response is to treat Hagar in return so badly that she runs away, pregnant, alone, off into the wilderness. Now, the Hebrew here is actually really interesting. When it says that uh, Sarai treated Hagar badly, um, it literally means that she made her small. That she, so she like cut her down to size. So apparently being pregnant with the boss's baby uh, made Hagar, the slave girl, feel like she could start standing up for herself. Um, and that was not well received. And so she had to be shrunk back down. Um, this reminds me of a, a thing that happened at our last church building several years ago. Um, in our sanctuary, there were six windows and that's where we kept the Kleenex boxes. Um, and it's also where insects liked to gather. So uh, every Sunday morning, I went through and made sure that the Kleenexes were there and the bugs were not there. And uh, one week while I was doing this, I had this impossibly cute little girl join me, uh, sort of following along while her mom was practicing uh, with the band. And she was, I don't know, maybe, maybe four. Um, oddly enough, I'll never forget, she had a Diet Coke in her hand the whole time. And that was, I didn't ask any questions. but. Um, at each window, she would see the bugs and she would cringe and then she would demand that I would squish the bugs and she would squish the bugs and then she would celebrate. She really, she loved the squishing, all right? Um, anyway, when we got to the last window, it was just like all the other windows, except one of the bugs at this uh, window was a moon moth. Um, in case you're not familiar, like a moon moth is just like any other uh, moth is just many times larger. And this thing was, it was probably at least six inches across its wings, maybe more even. Um, I was, it was beautiful. Uh, it, I, I took a minute to sort of stare at the detail because you just can't see that detail in, in their little cousins. Um, and uh, the little girl was looking right over my shoulder um, and it caught her breath too. But, but once she kind of caught her breath, she turned her head and this right in my, I mean, right in my ear, screamed at the top of her lungs, don't squish it. And just scream, like this piercing scream. And then she went like running to her mom who was on the platform singing. And she was like, make him stop, make him stop. Don't let Pastor Aaron kill it. Um, and so she freaked out. Now, thing is, I had absolutely no intention of killing it. But um, I think that's kind of interesting. Why is that? Uh, I had just, killed several tiny versions of the same thing only moments before without a second thought. And by the way, the little girl thought it was awesome. 
And so here's, here's the thing. Um, beauty, worth, significance, sometimes in our minds they get wrapped up with size. You know, like you can squish a small bug, but not a big one, especially not a big pretty one. That's cruel. And this, this is why humans cut people down before, before we squish them. We, we belittle, we make small, we tear them down until we can convince ourselves that they're insignificant and then they can be squished. Um, in this ancient culture, women were not allowed to speak up and certainly not to rise up because if they did, then they would establish themselves as significant and God forbid, maybe even as equals, and then they couldn't be oppressed or used for sex or labor or whatever. And so they had to be kept small. Um, as we discussed along the way, this is how race-based slavery came into reality. Uh, we had to dehumanize, tear down, make small, shame, so that we could keep them under our thumb. And in, in any abusive or controlling situation, this is the pattern. Make them small so that they don't have to be regarded or valued. If you've got the stomach for it, then go read the events that lead up to the crucifixion and you'll see that Jesus was mocked again and again and he was belittled, disgraced, shamed, cut down, made small until he finally seemed small enough to be squished. And this is what was happening to Hagar, uh, cut down again and again. And in her desperation, she ran. And I want you to notice how our Lord responds to her back to the text, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a, beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. Now, um, we later learn uh, that Hagar first thought this was an angel, but then realized this was God himself, finding her alone and terrified and enraged. At her darkest moment, he finds her. Here's what he says, uh, verse 8. Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Um... I really want to like stop and spend like a whole hour just on that point alone. I won't. I'll only say this. Imagine that God came to you and asked the same thing. Where have you come from? Where are you going? I would submit to you that if you answered those two questions, I like maybe everything in your whole life would pull into focus. I think it's that significant. But it's not today's sermon. So back to verse 8. She answers, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, and this is really significant, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And in verse 13, it says, Therefore Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. So she later understands that was God himself who spoke to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. So, the Lord found her, sat with her in her utter desperation. He listened to her. And this woman, who's been told to be quiet her whole life by powerful people, is now visited by the God of all power, and he asked her questions. And he invited and encouraged her to speak. Um, and then he gave her just this incredible promise. Um, she would have a son, a son, 
and she would have many descendants. And I want you to see, this is important, this was a promise of protection. She ran in part because she was afraid for her life and for her son's life. And in this, she is promised safety. She can go back. She will be safe and God will bless her. Now, you also need to see that these are personal instructions. So this, is, this doesn't mean that all people should just always return to an abusive situation. Uh, God had a plan for her, a good plan, and she could trust him. And he assures her of that. Um, and then she named her son, God Hears Me. Just think about it. Every time she said her son's name, she would be reminded in this world where people wanted her to be silent in every corner of her life that her God was listening. And then also, from then on, uh, she had a new name for God, El Royi, which means the God who sees me. And I just, I don't think I can articulate the significance of that. This, think of it, this young woman, very likely born a slave, um, barely even noticed at all until she was old enough to have a child. Uh, she had probably felt invisible her whole life. But then she came to know God as the God who sees her. Now, I'm, I'm a white middle class American man. Uh, I am... I am tall and outspoken, and I've been in leadership my whole life, and I was raised in a really great home with godly parents who were always uh, listening to me, who I had a voice with, who reminded me that God listens to every prayer. And so I'm, I'm in a very real way. I'm sort of the very picture of privilege. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what it is like to be abused or overlooked or forgotten or taken advantage of. Uh, but the fact is, almost everybody does. Um, most people do. Most of you do. Um, my story is pretty boring. Um, it's also pretty rare. Like, if, if you're a woman, then no doubt you know what some of this feels like. Um, if you've been poor or taken advantage of, then some of Hagar's story is your story. Um, if you're a minority, then you know all too well what it's like to want to be seen and heard by people in power who aren't looking and they aren't listening. If you have been a victim of physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse, then you know what it's like to be seen as a commodity or to be seen as disposable, to be seen um, as a means to an end. And the fact is, I, I mean, it's gotta be every single person that is hearing this at some time has felt the very real sting of being cut down and made small by somebody who wanted to just mow them over. I want you to think about this. Uh, Hagar got caught in the wake of powerful people who sadly only saw her as a means to an end. And if you, if you can relate to that on any level, then God wants you to hear the message that no matter who opposes you, uh, no matter how small you might feel, you have a God who hears every desperate cry. He listens to you. You have a God who sees you. And every abuse, every injustice, every hurt, every time you look past, he sees it all. And, and, and just like he did with Hagar, he would love to come to you now and sit with you and remind you that he's listening, 
that he has seen all that you've been through, that you've never been alone, that he has plans for you, and that his plans for you are good. So I just want to close by reading to you a few verses from Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and I will come and be with you. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. If you've been overlooked, if you've been forgotten, if you've been cut down and mowed over, um, if you've been made small, if you have found yourself caught in the wake of powerful people, treated as a commodity, a means to an end, I want to assure you that God wants to meet with you and remind you He's with you, He's always been with you, He sees you, He's always, always listening, and His plans for you are good. Amen. Amen.